All right, we are on the last read out loud from The Truth is Told by Mason Buttle by Leslie Connor. We are on chapter 70, Home by a Nose. When Uncle Drum and I came back from the orchard rose, we smelled apples baking, cinnamon, and spice. Uncle Drum says, nothing like being pulled home by your nose. He's right about that. But I split off from him, Mooney too. We go down to the drinker house so I can give the dog a supper, settle him in for the night. I get him fed, relieved. I fill his water bowl and put on the national public radio on low. I hug him up, scratch under his collar. I tell him how great he is. At the door, I turn back like always. I feel so bad leaving him alone. It's been a lot of nights now. Helps if I just see that he's curling up in his bed ready for a big sleep. But tonight he doesn't do it. He comes and stands beside me, nose by my knees. He looks up at me and I whisper, go to bed, boy. Don't you want to go to bed? He waits. I push open the door, about as wide as Mooney's nose, and he stares at the space. I know I could back him up, give him the stay hand, but I don't do it. I push the door open wider and I step outside. Mooney steps out too, no dashing off. He waits until I close the drinker's house. And I think this, if he turns back, I'll go and put him inside again. So I start out, Mooney follows, middle of the hill. He's still with me, heading to the crumble down. I smell the apples baking, sugar and spice. And I think this, what dog wouldn't choose this home? I let Mooney in ahead of me, all eyes are on us. Grandma and Uncle Drum look worried. I say, he wanted to come. He feels awful being down there. I point toward the drinker's house and I say, and who knows when they're coming back? There's been nothing said about that and I don't want him to be lonely. I squat and wrap an arm around the middle of Mooney. I say, this is a good dog. Well, he didn't do anything wrong. He needs to be with me and I need to be with him. And I know, I, I know it's just until his family comes for him. Saying that gets me all choked up. So I stop, collect myself. It's how these days have been. Things piled up, ache in the throat. It's rough. I say, I'm not going back down to the drinker house anymore. I just can't. Grandma nods. She says, the dog is welcome here until... Uncle Drum nods. Sure, we'll take it day by day. Shailene says, but what about his food? I didn't think about that, but I don't want to go back for it. Grandma says, oh, he can have some egg and rice for breakfast and then we'll see. Shailene says, we can get the real stuff delivered. UPS will bring it. Just saying. At bedtime, Mooney Drinker follows me up the stairs. He curls right beside my bed. I hang one arm over, inch it down until I can touch him. He picks himself up, hops onto the bed, and settles against me. And you can guess it. I let him stay. Chapter 71, Row of Yellow Boards. On Saturday morning, I look out and see Andy Kilmartin. He's walking toward the crumble down. He's bringing boards over his shoulder. They look like new ones. He lays them out by the porch, turns to go back to the truck for more. I pull the door open and step out to the sheet of plywood. It bumps and knocks on the joists below. Andy turns around. Then I don't know what to do. I mean to say hi and more than that, but I just end up standing there. Andy comes towards me, steps up on the porch. The boards rattle under the both of our feet. He wraps his arms around me, and I'll tell you what happens. 
He cries his heart out. And all that time, I feel his hands holding my back, strong finger bones pulling me in, rock wall fingers. I am sweat and I am tears. He sobs into my shoulder, close to my ear. He says, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, son. And when Andy says that, that word son, it comes out in more sobs. When he breathes it back in, it's like a high cry. Like one long note on a fiddle, he says, I forgot who you are, Mason. Franklin, too. We are so sorry. We were so lost in our pain and lost in this horrible, confused story. And we were missing our boy. I cough it out. I say, same for me. That's all about all I can say. He says, I am sorry. So, so sorry. He grips me hard and says, you sweet kid. You sweet, wonderful kid. Then he lets me go, and I see the mark on his shirt, a big old spot of sweat that I made on Benny's poor dad. Mooney pushes between us, and it's good, because we stoop down to pet him and talk about him while we finish crying. We sit down, legs hanging off the spot where the steps should be. We stick to words about good dogs and great ones and best ones. Then Andy takes his hammer out of his tool belt. He leans down and starts pulling out the old nails. He knocks away bits of broken boards. I say, can I do some? Can I work with you? And Andy says, are you kidding? This is your job. I'm just here to help. Uncle Drum comes out, probably surprised, but he nods, greets Andy, and then asks, how did the joists look? Andy says, still serviceable. And now he's the one who seems surprised. Uncle Drum says, good to go then. He stands up. Mason, I think you can scare us up a couple of hammers. I hop to it. I have good luck with that. One in the shed, another in a toolbox. There's nothing much more than the talking. We work, all three of us, all picking out nails, then setting in the new boards, spacing them right. Done at midday, rows of yellow boards shine, baked pine in the sun. And I'm glad when we move to the mousy, we move the mousy chair back in place. I figure we'll keep it just for Mooney Drinker while he's here. Chapter 72, When a Dog Goes Home. I wake in the dark of my room upstairs. Mooney is standing on me, two dog feet on my chest. Funny thing, he does step on me some, but just to get settled early on. Then he sleeps the night away in a curl by my side. But now it's the middle of the night, or so I think. I whisper, what boy? What is it? He hops off me, off the bed, and stands with his feet up on the window sash. I sit up and look out across the orchard, down the hill. Then I see it. A small square of light, a window. And then I know it. There's somebody inside the drinker house. I whisper Mooney back into the bed. I hold him, tuck my nose into his soft coat. I breathe him in. I pat the spotted back. I stroke the white belly. I feel his breath on my ear that reaches down to my middle. And I think this, a hard day is coming. I wait for dawn. I know I do have to do the right thing. I get up, get dressed. Mooney rests on the bed on top of the warm sheets, his head between his paws. He watches me with his golden brown eyes. I keep my shoes quiet on the stairs, but Mooney clicks all the way down. Toenails, toenails, toenails. I hear somebody say, Psst, Mason. 
I say, holy cow. I'm about to jump out of my skin. Then I say, hush, Shailene. She says, there's a lady out there. She's been sitting in a minivan. I peek out and wouldn't you know it, there's Mrs. Drinker, come for her dog. The first thing is I wave Shailene back into her room. I will do this, but all on my own. Mooney waits by my legs. I breathe in a deep breath and it shakes all the way out. I say, well, boy, come on now. Mooney wags and I try not to let him know that what today means. Try not to let him know why my heart feels heavy, like the head of a hammer. I got my hand on our doorknob and I peek again and I see Mrs. Drinker out of the car now. She's opening the big sliding door. And I think this, I should open our door. Let Mooney run, let him fly, let him do whatever he wants and let him go wherever home will be elsewhere. But I stand there and bite my lip. Then I see Mrs. Drinker turning from the car, hefting something out, a big bin full of dog food, got some papers on top of it and the pages flutter in the October wind. I watch and watch, and I sure do wonder what she's doing. She comes and sets the bin down on the new deck boards. She goes back to the car and hauls out Mooney's big dog bed. She puts it with the bin and slides everything a little bit closer to our door. My heart thuds. Mrs. Drinker turns to leave. And I think this. She's right there. And I'm right here. It feels like watching a friend walk away. And what about Mooney? I open the door and step out on the fresh yellow porch boards. She doesn't seem to hear me. I could still slip back inside, but I say, Mrs. Drinker? She turns around and Mooney bolts past me, springs towards her tail wagging, body wagging. This is his greeting for the ones he loves most. She crouches to catch his ruff in her hands. She hugs the dog and says, Oh, Mason, I thought your house was still sleeping. I say, well, we're waking up. She smiles, the sad kind. She fidgets and strokes Mooney's coat. Her eyes are full of water, and it makes me wonder if our porch is a crying place now. I say, I'm sorry about letting him sleep here. It wasn't the whole time, and I'm, I wasn't trying to steal him. She says, oh, no, no. I'm so glad he wasn't alone. She looks at me. Mason, we have troubles. You know that. She chokes up and says, and I think Mooney will do best if he can stay with you. I wonder what stay means. She's nodding her head and then says, for always. My heart pumps and I see pink in the air. It hangs there. She says, he thinks he's yours anyway. She laughs a tiny laugh. We think he chose you. Both Maddie and I think it. She says, this dog is a love and he deserves love. You're his home. So there's his food and his vet records and the bed. All you need. And I think this, Mooney is mine. That pink wash blooms again. And I say, thank you. It comes up all dusty, but I mean it. I say, there's no better gift, no gift like Mooney. And she says, I think this dog loved you from the day you sailed into our cellar. He must have thought that boy is spectacular. We send one little laugh up into the early air. And I say, Mrs. Drinker, it's not my business, but I'm sorry about the troubles. She nods and frowns, then her face breaks. So I say, but maybe I can tell you this. It'll be okay, someday, somehow, don't you think? She sighs to get her breath back. 
She's crying streams of tears, and she says, Right now, I don't see how, but I'll hope for that. My goodness, I will. Then she hugs me and hugs Mooney, and she tells him, Be a good boy for Mason. He kisses her. Goodbye. She gets in her van, and I keep Mooney close, holding him. I hope he won't be confused, but he is. He cries, little murmurs that I can feel from his chest. He's marching on his paws, and I tell him, I know, I know, but you have me. Promise you, boy, I promise. We watch the van roll away, not easy to sort out. My heart feels scrambled. Mrs. Drinker is gone, and I don't think she's coming back to Merrimack. But Mooney's settling down in my arms like he gets it. He's staying forever. Chapter 43, Apple Crisp. Tell you what, we've got four people peeling and paring again. Grandma's apple crisp was good. We're making another apple cinnamon sundae inside the crumble down. And this pan is a big one. Got some people coming over, first time in a long time. Uncle Drum asked for some help. He brought a bunch of pairs of work gloves down at he bought a bunch of pairs of work gloves down at Bischel's Hardware. Plan is, we'll haul out that heap of stuff from the root cellar site, load it onto Uncle Drum's truck, and dump it on Monday. Soon the apples are baking, and the lieutenant arrives. Then Calvin Chomsky and his parents come down John Gold Path, sun shining on them. They want to help, and they want to see what's left over of our caves of Lasco. They wheel Calvin in the chair. He's wearing both his tan, sandy shoes. And he can walk again, some, but the dead asleep leg is still waking and hurting and making him very tired. But Calvin is the same self that he always was inside, mighty. I help push him around the back to the dip in the yard. Mooney dances close to my heels beside Calvin's wheels. Calvin sighs to see the great Arrakis in the open cellar wall. He says, oh, it's different seeing him standing out in the light. His eyes are wide and turn toward me. Then on the cellar again, the Chomsky parents stare too. Calvin's mom says, Oh, the animal's beautiful, powerful. She squints and says, I can imagine the whole, how the whole root cellar was. The roof and the shaft. It must have been an enchanting place to be. So old and so rare. Mr. Chomsky nods. Looks like a lot of dirt and a lot of fun. Hey, a lesson in engineering. How will the boys top that? So what's your next big project? Lieutenant Baird hears that and he rolls his eyes. Uncle Drum makes a low sound in his throat, but everyone's laughing. We put on the gloves, face the heap, and start at the top. Lift away the old boards and the long strings of brambles. The work goes well. Calvin has to sit, though, just watching. He likes it. He checks out all the parts when we walk by on the way back to the truck. And he says, there, there has to be one of the capping pieces. Look at the old spike on that held it in place. And there's the board that we cut the circle from. I say, Calvin, remember? That old circle hit me right in the lip. I made it sound funny. And I made people laugh. I tug a pretty long board out of the heap and push that behind me as I go. I feel a weight lift. Got help on the other end of the board. I look. It's Lieutenant. We carry that board together, toss it into the truck, and I'll tell you what, one more thing in Merrimack feels a little closer to all right. When the big stuff is gone, we switch to shovels and rakes. Out comes the old rag rug, the five-gallon buckets, both busted and cracked open. We sweep to get the last of it clean, hard dirt and dust, 
Something shows up there on the pale painted floor. Charcoal lines, and I know that shape. I know what it is. I shout, Calvin, it's your dead man. The dead man with the bird head. And wouldn't you know it, everyone comes to look. And Calvin tells how it worked, how the shaft of put light on that little stick drawing of a man, how Calvin drew him, true and important, like the dead man in the caves of Lascaux. He tells and I listen, and then I take a step out. I look up, have to squint at the bright round sun today. What I feel is this, in loving memory of Benny. Benny, who told me beams of sunlight will take you up to heaven. Grandma comes down with the hot apple crisp, potholders wrapped around the wide baking pan, and Shailene comes behind her. Shailene's outdoors! She carried the dishes and runs back for spoons and cream. We pull off our work gloves, and the crisp is served. Passed all around, noses breathe in deep and long, and then every spoonful melts in every mouth. Uncle Drum says, gift from the orchard. He looks out at the trees, and I say, and from Grandma. The bowls are scraped clean. Then a funny thing. It's Shailene who stands looking long and hard at the cellar. Clean square hole on stony walls. One a raucous, one dead man. And she says, you boys sure made a ruin. But Calvin's grinning. He says, actually, it's a relic. I don't know why, but I guess it's not surprising. I like the sound of what Calvin said better. Chapter 40, 74 the last apple. Late October comes to the orchard. I'm thinking about winter because it will come soon. Those rows will rest, snow will fall. I get an idea about sledding down the back hill. I think I can put up a blade, put the blade on the tractor, go down and back, bank up the snow, keep us from skidding down into all those yards, down at the bottom. See, I cleaned out the shed for progress. Deep in the back, I found two old sleds. One was Uncle Drum's, and the other was my mom's. And I can see it. We'll go in doubles, Calvin and Corey on one, because I hope he'll come over, and me on the other. And you won't believe this, but Anna Lizetta Yang, too. It turns out that she's the after-school care girl, the one that Grandma was helps now and was talking about. Uncle Drum and I build a ramp onto the new porch. Did that together. Anna Lizetta gets in and out of the crumble down on her own just fine. Pretty sure she can go sledding. Like, if we have her crocodile walker at the top of the hill and then I pull her back up again, I'll ask first, but I know this. She'll sure like going fast. Well, easy for me to get ahead of myself. There's no snow yet. So for now, I walk with this dog of mine. Best one in the world. High tail and curious. It seems like he's pretty happy with me. I reach up and pull down an apple, the last one on this tree. The season's pretty much past. I roll it for Mooney, good and hard on the row. The dog loves to go. Ears back, hind legs pumping, and I think this, how good it must feel. Digging in like he does, paws and toenails hitting the earth, belly skimming the yellow grass. Mooney Buttle has his eyes, nose, and heart on just one thing, that last apple. What a dog loves. It gets me thinking. I know what I love too. Family and friends, all the ones here and all the ones gone. I love my dog and this orchard and a crumble down house. And it's a funny thing the way that feels. It's not dark, unlucky, or stupid. And I'll tell you what, stupid can go sit on the head of a pin somewhere. Knowing what you love is smart. 
that is the end of The Truth is Told by Mason Buttle. I hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And I will look forward to seeing you guys later.